can the book of Revelation really be understood amidst all the prophetic language and mysterious symbols? How is it relevant to the 21st century? What is the controversy between good and evil all about? How and when will it end? These and many other questions will be answered, providing amazing clarity to the conditions we see in our world today. This seminar will bring you face-to-face with Jesus in a new and wonderful way, leading you to the most momentous decisions of your life. Welcome to Prophecy Seminar, the Book of Revelation. Here is your host, Pastor David Price. Well, good evening, friends. I'd like to welcome you to our Revelation Prophecy Seminar tonight. It's great to be together for this incredible topic which is the devil chained in the bottomless pit. What are we going to learn tonight? I have for you five discovery points that are thematic questions that occur throughout the lesson and also summarize the lesson. Tonight, we're going to discover what is the millennium. Secondly, what does the, when does the thousand years actually begin? Number three, who is actually alive on earth during this millennium or this thousand years? And when will the thousand years finally end? Finally, what purpose does the millennium period serve for God and the universe? Well, I want to tell you this is a big lesson. There's lots of scripture in it. It's a solid Bible study. And um, I want to invite you to pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just want to come before you with praise and thanksgiving asking again for the precious gift and the powerful gift of your Holy Spirit to help us to understand your word. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. So I'd like to welcome you all tonight to Revelation Seminar Lesson Number 7, The Devil Chained in the Bottomless Pit. I'd like to direct your attention to the screen as I share with you the front cover of Lesson 7. Thank you so much. Revelation chapter 20 states that the mighty angel is going to bind the devil with a great chain and cast him into the bottomless pit for 1,000 years. Well, friends, I want to tell you that sounds like very, very good news for me, and I hope also for you. You know, Satan resents the fact that this damaging information about his future has been made public information out in the scripture. So he spreads the falsehood that Revelation is a closed book, which none can comprehend, or else he likes to distort its meaning. Unfortunately, much that is said today about the thousand years or the millennium is not even actually factual. Some of it sounds suspiciously like something Satan might invent to trap people. He actually does this to strengthen his own position as the leader of those who choose to rebel against God. The devil is not playing games. He has one aim in mind, the destruction of you, and your family, and all other people on the earth. Where he has distorted the information, 
regarding the 1,000 years. He's done so with a sinister and hateful thought of destroying you and me. So what's our only safeguard? It's to stay strictly with God's word. And as we do this, God will expose the devil's snares to us. And so the good news tonight is that the Lord is anxious to assist us. Well, I'm taking you straight into heading number one, which is a discussion and uh, an understanding of the two resurrections. And we're going to dive straight into our Bible study. Revelation chapter 20 is the great chapter on the thousand years, the millennium. So why don't we start there? We're going to Revelation chapter 20 and verse four. Let's go to question number one. What takes place as the great 1,000-year period begins in Revelation 20, verse 4, especially the last part? John the Revelator writes, I and I saw thrones and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not... Worship the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. I'm going to pause there a moment and say that we're going to unpack this verse in greater detail when we do the lesson on the mark of the beast. John writes, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. What takes place as the great 1,000-year period begins? Very simply and very clearly, there is a resurrection, a resurrection. Let me share with you the note under question number one. So the New English Bible makes it plainer, doesn't it? Have a look on the screen. These came to life again and reigned with Christ for a 1,000 years. So a resurrection marks the beginning of the great 1,000-year period of Revelation 20, but there is also a resurrection that marks the end of the great 1,000 years. So let's unpack a little bit more this word millennium. It is a Latin word coming from milli, meaning 1,000, and annus or annum, meaning years, and that's where we get the word millennium and what its meaning is. Now, the word millennium is never stated in the Bible. The Bible is always very, very clear, and it just refers to this incredible time period as the 1,000 years. We're at question two at the bottom of page one. This resurrection is called the first resurrection, but who will actually be raised in it? We go to Revelation 20 and verse 6. John writes, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. So there is a big hint. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So when we gather the words blessed, holy and priests of God together, we find out that it is the righteous are the ones who are raised in the first resurrection gods, people from all the ages. The note says the righteous 
described as blessed and holy and priest, will be raised in the first resurrection. Please join me now for question three at the top of page two. So we've noticed that the first resurrection, the resurrection of the righteous, begins the 1,000-year period of Revelation chapter 20. Now, Jesus speaks of the second resurrection as the resurrection of damnation and the wicked will be raised in it. See John 5, 28 and 29. Now, maybe some of you didn't have time when you were preparing your lessons to look this up. This is an absolutely crucial text, and we're going to look at it now because these are actually the words of Jesus, and this is what Jesus tells us. Jesus said, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Verse 29 of John 5, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So in John 5, 28 and 29, Jesus very clearly goes through and outlines for us the two resurrections. To summarize, the first resurrection is the resurrection of life where the righteous are brought back to life. The second resurrection is the resurrection of damnation. I think the New King James Bible calls it the resurrection of condemnation. And this is the one in which the wicked are brought back to life. But in no way are these two resurrections simultaneous. In fact, these resurrections are separated by a long period of time. In fact, they are separated by a period of 1,000 years. And so the first and second resurrections top and tail the 1,000 years. Let's go back to question three, and we pick it up with the question before Revelation 20 and verse 5. So when will the second resurrection take place? We go to Revelation 20 and verse 5. John's very clear, John the Revelator, also John the disciple of Jesus. But he writes, the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. So we're asking the question, when will the second resurrection take place? And the answer is, it is only after the 1,000 years are actually finished. So we've now established three key points. I direct your attention to the screen. Number one, we have the resurrection of the righteous, the first resurrection, which begins the great 1,000-year period. Point number two, we have the resurrection of the wicked, which is the second resurrection, which ends the great 1,000-year period. The third point is that the period between these two resurrections is the 1,000 years of Revelation 20. So those two foundations, friends, are very, very important. The first and second resurrections both commence and end the 1,000-year period. Let's go to our second heading, halfway down page two, and we're looking at question number four. What great event occurs at the time of the first resurrection when the 1,000 years begin? Let's have a look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 and 16. Church, 
Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica in Greece, the Thessalonians, and he says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Paul is here trying to express a truth that the dead in Christ will rise first and those who are alive and remain will not rise into the air or be saved or taken home to heaven before those who are asleep. In fact, it should possibly be clearer and say the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. Let's go on to verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That means the dead in Christ rise first before the righteous living rise up into the clouds. What great event occurs at the time of the first resurrection when the thousand years begin? The answer is the second coming of the Lord. The note says the purpose of the second coming is for Jesus to receive the people who have served him in all ages. Friends, it's a precious truth that we can consider right now in this amazing Bible study that Jesus has a plan for your life. He wants to save you and he wants to take you to heaven with your loved ones, friends and family. So I'm going to ask you right now, what are you doing to actually make that happen in this year? Are you prioritizing the kingdom of God? And if you are, or if you've just chosen to, then I say, God bless you. Question five, at the second coming, what happens to the saints who've been raised from the grave, who are the righteous dead, and to the saints, otherwise known as the righteous living, who are alive to see Jesus return? Now, we have a whole swag of texts here. We're looking at 1 Corinthians 15, Philippians 3, and 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 to see what happens to those who are raised from the grave. Let's start in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 54. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, which is the biblical word for death, but we shall all be changed, meaning that we will be changed in character, nature, and body. 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, meaning decaying body, must put on incorruption, and this mortal subject to death body must put on immortality. And there's our answer. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written from Isaiah 25 and verse 8, death is swallowed up in victory. Friends, I have to pause to remind you again, as we did in our last session, that there is only victory over the greatest enemy we have, and that is death, via the cross of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus of Nazareth, and his rising from the grave as a victor over sin and death guarantees us the eternal life and the immortal bodies.
In Philippians 3, 20 and 21, we get more details. For our conversation or our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's find out a little bit more about his resurrected body. Who shall change our vile body, meaning our sinful, decaying bodies, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things under himself. First Thessalonians 4.17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, that's the dead in Christ, resurrected, in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the air. That was what we learned in lesson number six. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So at the second coming, what happens to the saints who have been raised from the grave, the righteous dead, and to the saints' righteous living who are alive to see Jesus return? They'll be changed from mortal to immortal. They will be given bodies like Jesus' body, and the saints will then be caught up to meet the Lord where? In the air. Jesus does not set foot on the earth at the second coming. Why is this such an important point? As we learned in lesson six, session number six, Satan impersonates Christ. And so it's very important that we know that the true Jesus never sets foot on the earth during the second coming. We're in question six at the bottom of page two. What happens to the wicked who are living when Jesus returns? We're going to 2 Thessalonians 1, Isaiah 11 and 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8. This is a very solid Bible study tonight. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not speaking about those who don't know God. It's speaking about those who have chosen to reject the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. These wicked ones who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Let's go to Isaiah 11, verse 4. But with righteousness shall he, the Lord, judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And the Lord shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Now, when you read that or whether you, when you look that up, you probably wondered what did that actually mean? To smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Friends, can I remind you that the rod of Jesus' mouth must be some kind of weapon whereby he slays the wicked? Maybe this explanation might help. As Christ created all things by the breath or the word of his mouth, as in Psalms 33, 6, where he spake everything into existence, and John 1, 1 to 3, where Jesus was the word of God, the Logos, and the creator, even so will the Lord Jesus Christ destroy all that is evil the very same way. He will smite them with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. I hope that understanding is helpful. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. 
Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the what? The brightness of his coming. So what happens to the wicked who are living when Jesus returns? Second Thessalonians 1, 7 to 9. The answer is they'll be consumed by the spirit of his mouth and they will be destroyed with the brightness of his coming. Absolutely. You know, many years ago, we didn't understand how you could be destroyed by brightness, but now with um, nuclear bombs, um, et cetera, uh, lasers, we now understand how you can be destroyed by light. Question number seven, how will the second coming of Jesus affect the wicked who are in their graves when he appears? We go to Revelation chapter 20 and verse five, first part. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. How will the second coming of Jesus affect the wicked who are in their graves when he appears? The Bible tells us very clearly that they remain in their graves until the 1,000 years are actually finished. And there's a very, very good reason for that, which we will share with you as we continue this lesson. So if you look on the screen, the righteous dead, the blessed and holy are raised as the thousand years begin. See Revelation 20, verse 6. The rest of the dead, the wicked, remain in their graves and are not raised till the thousand years close in Revelation 20 and verse 5. We're going to find out in later lessons when we cover the judgment in greater detail that this is so God's people have a time to review God's judgments and we will cover that in this session question number eight we're at the top of page three jesus promised that at his return he would take his people to the same place he went at his ascension we're asking now what is this place we go to acts 1 john 13 and john 14 so remember the setting jesus is on the mount of olives he is departing and going back to heaven. He's saying goodbye to his disciples. And there are two men who there who are actually angels. Acts chapter 1, 9 to 11. And when Jesus had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. We're in Acts 1 and verse 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men, stood by them in white apparel. These men which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. John 13, 33, Jesus said, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, we now jump from John 13, 33 to John 13, 36, where Jesus is talking to Peter. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? In other words, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, Peter, but you shall follow me afterwards. Some people have read into that, that Peter was being promised eternal life by Jesus. Some people and commentators also say that this shows that Peter himself would also suffer 
crucifixion like the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you might remember that historically Jesus, uh, Peter, was crucified upside down because he didn't want to take the honour that only belonged to Jesus. And so he was crucified upside down. John 14 and verse 1, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. We're trying to find out where Jesus went after his essential ascension into heaven. We're in John 14, 2 and 3. In my father's house or in my father's dwelling place, it's better translated, are many mansions. If it were not so, Jesus said, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, and that's all of you who are viewing this, if you choose Jesus and follow him, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus promised that at his return, he would take his people to the same place he went at his ascension. What is this place? The good news is that he has promised to take us home to heaven. Jesus promised that he would go and prepare a place for his people and then come and take them to that kingdom. Acts 1, 9 to 11 says specifically that he went to heaven. In John 13, 33 and 36, he promised his disciples that they would one day join him where he was going, and that was to heaven. At this point, please turn to the Thousand Years Chart, Exhibit 1, the exhibit, the blue chart, and review the events which begin the 1,000 years. Now, I want you to have a look on the screen. Don't worry about your, your charts now. This is up on the screen. Let's have a look at those nine points. These are the events which begin the 1,000 years. I'm going to illustrate each one of those with an illustration, a picture, to just give you a visual record and a visual memory of what are those nine events which begin the 1,000 years. So we're looking at the events which begin the 1,000 years, which are nine in this presentation. Number one, it begins with the second coming of Jesus Christ for his saints. That is the very, very first event. Jesus comes back for his saints. Remember we learned last time in session six, Jesus does not come back to destroy the wicked. He comes back to take his people home. The second point is there is a devastating earthquake and hail. This earthquake is so massive that it probably is off the Richter scale. And this causes, Revelation says, the cities of the nations to fall. The third point is that the righteous dead are resurrected. And that is a wonderful thing. When loved ones who've gone before, if we're alive when Jesus comes, and I believe we will be, many of us, then the righteous dead are resurrected and we will see our loved ones again. Point number four is that the living righteous will be changed They'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet sound. And so they'll be changed in nature and they'll be changed from sinful bodies to sinless bodies, from mortal bodies to immortal bodies. Point number five is that the righteous are caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and they follow the uh, righteous dead who've been resurrected into the clouds and the angels put the families back together. 
Point number six is, unfortunately, the wicked who don't want to see Jesus and are calling for the rocks and mountains to fall on them, they are slain by the Lord's second coming. The seventh point is the wicked dead remain dead. As Revelation 20 and verse 5 says, the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. Point number eight is interesting, isn't it? That Satan is actually bound for this period. And then point number nine is that the cloud takes the righteous back to heaven. They go back in the clouds. And we learned, I think, last time in session number six on the second coming that they are clouds of angels. If you're wondering how you can have clouds in outer space, I think that that is what the Bible is referring to. All right, let's now have a look at the events during the 1,000 years. And we go to question nine. Jeremiah saw in vision the earth just after the coming of Jesus. How did he describe what he saw? We go to Jeremiah 25 and verse 33. This is a pretty shocking verse. So I hope you've got your seatbelt on. In Jeremiah 25, verse 33, we read, And the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the heaven, even unto the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented, neither gathered nor buried. They shall be dung upon the ground. Now, I was looking up the Hebrew um, to try and make this more palatable, like refuse upon the ground. But the word dung is the word used. It means human waste or animal manure, it means rotting corpses on the ground. This is a very, very confronting description. Jeremiah saw in vision the earth just after the coming of Jesus. How did he describe what he saw? This is what he wrote. The slain shall be from one end of the earth, even to the other. They shall not be lamented, because there's no one there to lament them. They're not going to be gathered up. They're not going to be buried by funeral directors. So, friends, this is a very, very serious situation, isn't it? Events during the thousand years. These are the wicked who are destroyed by Jesus as he comes back at the second coming. They are left on the ground for 1,000 years. Let me share with you the note. Jeremiah saw dead bodies covering the earth. None were being buried and no one was crying. The reason was simple. There was no one left to conduct a funeral because during the 1,000 years, the righteous are all in heaven and the wicked are all dead. Revelation 19, 11 to 21 is another word picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the man on the white horse, verse 11. He smites the nations at his coming, verse 15, and dead bodies are left lying everywhere as the thousand years begin. Have a look at Revelation 19, verses 17, 18, and 21. Our fourth heading tonight at the top of page four is question 10. Our fourth heading is a worldwide devastation. Question 10, what happens to the earth at Jesus appearing? Good question. We go to Revelation 16. 18, 20, and 21. These are quite confronting verses. Revelation 16, 18, first half. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. 
and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth so mighty an earthquake and so great then we go to verse 20 and every island fled away and the mountains were not found friends that earthquake is so huge it disrupts the topography of the earth verse 21 and there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven every stone about the weight of a talent and men blaspheme god because of the plague of the hail for the plague thereof was exceeding great do you remember that in ancient egypt there was also a plague of hail well i guess many of you are wondering what is the weight of a talent well if you have a look on the screen it's roughly 75 pounds at its maximum which would be 35 kilograms i guess that would be like dropping a piece of hail that's like a small child on your head at thousands of kilometers an hour out of the sky this is a lot more problematic than some of the uh, golf or cricket ball hail that we have from time to time in severe storms so just think about that what happens to the earth at jesus appearing and there was a great earthquake and there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven that really makes you think doesn't it we go on to discover what are conditions like on the earth during the 1000 years now i want you to note these conditions because there are certain people who say that they want to be here on the earth during the 1000 years so let's see if the earth is actually inhabitable during this time we're going to jeremiah 4 we're going to isaiah 24 and these two chapters pretty much parallel each other and they they work together in tandem we start in jeremiah 4:23. i beheld the earth jeremiah wrote and lo it was without form and void and the heavens and they had no light there's our answer the heavens had no light we carry on to verse 24 of Jeremiah 4. I beheld the mountains and lo, they trembled and all the hills moved lightly. Friends, you've got to remember this could be the greatest earthquake that there ever was. We go to Jeremiah 4 verse 28. For this shall the earth mourn and the heavens shall be black. Because I've spoken it, I have purposed it and will not repent. Neither will I turn back from it. So there's our next answer. The heavens above will be black. Verse 25, and I beheld and lo, there was no man. Now, ladies, it doesn't mean there are no men on the earth. It means no mankind, no humankind, no people are alive on planet earth. And I beheld and lo, there was no man. And all the birds of the heavens were fled. In verse 23, I beheld the earth and lo, it was without form. There's our next answer, part C. And it was void in the heavens and they had no light. We go to Jeremiah 4, 26, and I beheld and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness and all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. We now switch over to Isaiah 24, verses 1, 3, 19 and 20 behold the lord maketh the earth empty there's our answer it's totally empty it's not a place to be it's not inhabited and he maketh it waste 
and turneth it upside down and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. The land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled for the Lord hath spoken this word. Verse 19, the earth is utterly broken down. There's our answer. The earth is clean dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard. This is referring to the great earthquake and shall be removed like a cottage. That would be better translated a tent or a hut or the original word is a booth. If you remember the feast of booths in the Old Testament and the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it and it shall fall and not rise again. Friends, what are conditions like on the earth during the 1000 years? Well, they're pretty bad. The heavens had no light. The heavens above will be black. There's no humankind around. There's no man. There's no woman. There's no child. The earth was without form and it's void. The land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled. It's wrecked. And finally, the earth is utterly broken down. That takes us to question 12 at the bottom of page four. Thank you so much for joining us for Revelation number seven, the thousand year millennium Bible study of the devil chained in the bottomless pit, which leads us pretty much into question 12. What is the bottomless pit that the devil is bound in for the 1,000 years as outlined in Revelation 20, 1 to 3? So friends, let's go firstly to Revelation 21 to 3 before we answer the question. Let's get some extra information. Revelation 21 to 3. John writes, and I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. This is the beginning of the 1000 year, the millennium chapter. So an angel comes down from heaven above. He has the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. What is this angel going to do? In Revelation 20, verse two, we find out who he's going to chain up. And he laid hold on the dragon that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Now, we're in no doubt here who is chained up. He's called the dragon, the ancient serpent from the Garden of Eden. He's also named as the devil and Satan. And then it says he is chained or bound up for 1,000 years. Verse 3 of Revelation 20. And this being... The devil and Satan was cast into the bottomless pit and he was shut up there and a seal was set upon him that he should what? Deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So we're trying to discover what is the bottomless pit that the devil is bound in for the thousand years as outlined in Revelation 21 to 3. Now, you've been given, before answering this question, you have been asked to read and digest the material on Exhibit 2, entitled Bottomless Pit, which is there on the screen. For those watching uh, online, you can freeze this and screen screen shoot it and uh, then read it in your own leisure time. But we're just going to summarise the answer here in Part 4, A, B and C. So, friends, what is the bottomless pit? Let me summarize. It is an abusos. It just means an abyss. What is an abyss? It means an object without form and void. In other words, the earth before it was created on, just a blank planet, a 
blank piece of canvas. Abusos is actually a Greek word meaning a dark, desolate region. The modding meaning is simply abyss, which means an earth lying completely devastated, ruined and empty of human inhabitants, just like after Christ returns. So what is the bottomless pit the devil is bound in for the thousand years as outlined in Revelation 21 to 3? Well, we learned there that it was without form or torn up in 4a and then 4b, there was no man and C, there was no light and uh, it was uh, black. Uh, that's what the bottomless pit or abyss means. It refers to the earth torn up without people and in total darkness. And we just went through that really in a lot of detail, didn't we, in question 11. So the bottomless pit means this earth without form, with the heavens above being black, and with no man alive on the earth. Well, we're now going to our fifth heading in this amazing Bible study, and we're at the top of page five in our lesson guides, the devil bound. Here's some good news. Why is the devil to be bound during the 1,000 years? We go back to Revelation 20. And verse 3, the angel cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Why is the devil to be bound during the 1,000 years, friends? So that he can deceive the nations no more. So. In these lesson guides, it's said to read carefully the material on Exhibit 2 entitled The Binding of Satan. So this is all here on the back page of Exhibit, the Exhibit 1, and on the back page it's Exhibit 2, where it is described here in Section B, which here is The Binding of Satan. And we don't have time to go through that tonight. This is a very, very big Bible study, but you can screenshot this or you can pause it and have a look at it. But friends, let me summarize what these paragraphs contain. So I'm going to ask you, how is Satan, a spirit being actually bound up? How do you chain up a spirit? The answer is that he's chained to the earth. Of, of, often we've heard people say that we are tied up and we're too busy to go somewhere or do something. We're not literally tied up, but we use it as a metaphor, don't we? And so Satan is symbolically chained to the earth because he's got no one to tempt and he's got nowhere to go. We know in Revelation 12, 7 to 9, that Satan was cast out of heaven and he was cast down to the earth. And here is where he's had to stay. However, in Job 2, 1 and 2, there was one time when Satan went on a holiday. And I'm going to share this with you. This is not in the lesson, so please direct your attention to the screen. We're going to Job 2, 1 and 2. Again, there was a day, Job writes, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? Now, I want to pause here and just remind you, God is very, very polite, isn't he? He knows where Satan's been the whole time. Um, and so he still is polite and says, so where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord and said in Job 2 and verse 2, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. 
So friends, I'm just sharing with you here that Satan has been restricted to the earth. He had this one visit to heaven, but after that, he was certainly chained to the earth by a chain of circumstances. And so during the millennium, he has no one to tempt and he has certainly even now nowhere to go. Would you join me halfway down page five and question 14? What will the righteous be doing while in heaven during the thousand years? We go to Revelation chapter 20, verse four. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them. This is referring to the righteous. And judgment was given unto them, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. There's our answer, participating in the judgment. I read on Revelation 20 and verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was opened in Revelation 20, 12, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to to their works. Revelation 20, verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. It's interesting, friends, today, the Christian church of the last day says works don't matter. They certainly don't save us, but they are an indication of the strength of our relationship with Jesus Christ. They're not the root of our salvation, but they're certainly the fruit of our salvation, and they are the product of sanctification. So, friends, the note here says, all the wicked are now judged from those who died at sea, the sea gave up the dead, and so from those who come up from the power of death itself and even from hell. And what does hell stand for? How can you throw hell into hell? Hell actually means two things. It can mean the grave. The grave is often called hell. And it can also mean the final lake of fire, which destroys the wicked. Let's just go on to give you two verses that aren't in the study guide. We're in Revelation 20, 14 and 15. And death and hell, meaning the grave, were cast into the lake of fire. You can't cast hell into hell. This is the second death, John writes. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So we started with the question, what will the righteous be doing while in heaven during the thousand years? John says, and judgment was given unto them. What will the righteous be doing while in heaven during the thousand years? They'll be participating in the judgment in terms of they will be allowed to review God's judgments and see that loved ones, who have been left behind on the earth, judged as wicked and not worthy of heaven, they will be able to see why they are not in the kingdom of heaven. This judgment in which the saints participate takes place in heaven. Jesus said that the place he's preparing for his people is in his father's house. See John 14, 2 and 3. And that the father is in heaven. Matthew 6, verse so friends we all want to keep our names in the book of life this is where we want our names to stay written and that is in the book of life what are you doing every day to strengthen your connection with jesus are you spending an hour a day in the word in prayer and bible study because if you are you'll have a lot of share with other people you'll be able to give them um, 
just great revelations from God and God will set up divine appointments where you can actually witness to them. We're in question 15, halfway down page five. What purpose does this gigantic trial or this gigantic judgment actually serve? After all, people at this time are either lost or saved. So why are the righteous in heaven reviewing God's judgments? The answers will come in 1 Corinthians 6, Revelation 22, and 2 Peter 2 and verse 9. So these are very comprehensive set of texts. So friends, please analyze the following explanation before writing your answer. Let me share with you the note and then we'll incorporate these texts into the note. Part A of question 15, this judgment does not involve the righteous. Judgment for all the saved takes place prior to Jesus Christ's second coming. Future seminar lessons will consider the judgment of the righteous. 15, part B, the judgment involves only the dead. And we go to Revelation 20 and verse 12. Only the wicked dead are at this time. Sorry, only the wicked are dead. Only the wicked are dead at this time. So this judgment involves only the wicked. Let's go to Revelation 20 and verse 12 and remind ourselves of this fact. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Part C of 15, this judgment accomplishes two very important things. What are they? Number one, it decides the degree of punishment for all the lost, including Satan and his angels. See Revelation 22 and verse 12. Let's have a look at it. Jesus said, and behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. So what are the rewards that Jesus brings back at the second coming? Very simply, the first resurrection gives eternal life to the righteous. The second resurrection gives eternal death to the wicked. Those are the two rewards that the Father and the Son bring back at the second coming. So we go to 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. Do you not know, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, that the saints, meaning the righteous, shall judge the world? And if the world should be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? He's speaking there about judging the angels who fell, reviewing their cases and understanding the fall of Satan more when we get to heaven. How much more things that pertain to this life. Friends, this judgment also accomplishes a second point at the bottom of page five. It clarifies for the righteous why some they love were shut out of heaven. They get to look at the books of record. Join me at the top of page six and part D, 15D. The terrible problem of sin will be settled only when all who have ever been involved, both men and angels, understand and openly confess that God has been loving, fair, and honest in everything. The judgment in its many phases clarifies this for both men and angels. God already understands fully. The judgment is not for God's benefit. 2 Peter 2.9 the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations 
and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. What purpose does this gigantic trial or judgment serve? After all, people at this time are either lost or saved. Our answers are part D, A, this judgment decides the degree of punishment for the lost or the wicked. Part B of 15, section D, it also clarifies for the righteous why some they love are shut out of heaven because they can go through the books of record. Friends, at this point, please turn to the thousand-year chart, which I have for you on the screen, and review the events which take place during the 1,000 years. This is very brief summary because there's only four things that take place. So let's have a look at this very, very quickly. We go to question uh, 16. What are the events during the 1,000 years? Well, actually, before we go to question 16, I'm actually going to summarize those four points with pictures to enlarge your picture library in your mind. What are the four events during the 1,000 years? Number one, the saints review the judgment of the wicked in heaven. We have 1,000 years before the wicked are destroyed in the lake of fire to argue the case or ask any questions about people who are in heaven that we think shouldn't be there. Incidentally, there might be some people up there who think we shouldn't be there, but we're all there by the grace of Jesus Christ. So there might also be some people who are missing. There can be people up there that we don't understand why they're there, but there'll be people who aren't there and we can ask questions of the angels. So the saints will review God's judgment. God opens the books. He doesn't have two sets of books. He doesn't cook the books. He lets the righteous ask questions about his judgments. Isn't he amazing? Secondly, at this time that the righteous are in heaven for the thousand years, reviewing the books of record, the earth's in total devastation and darkness. Point number three, there are no people alive on planet Earth. No one's been left alive down here. That is no humankind, but there are some angelic beings. Satan and his angels are stuck on planet Earth. He's got nowhere to go and he's got nowhere to tempt and he's bound to the Earth, not by a chain. You can't chain up a spirit. How do you chain up a spirit? He's bound to the Earth by a chain of circumstances, nowhere to go no one to tempt. All right, let's now have a look at the events at the end of the thousand years. Question 16, what great city comes down to earth at the close of the 1,000 years? We go to Revelation 21, verse 2 and verse 10. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. What great city comes down to earth at the close of the 1,000 years? The answer is it's the new Jerusalem or the holy city. Question 17. This is an interesting question. Maybe you've never seen these verses before, but it ties in with what we said last week about Jesus not setting foot on the earth at the second coming. What will happen when the feet of Jesus stand upon the Mount of Olives? We're going to Zechariah 14, 1, 4, and 10. Zechariah 14, 1, 4, and 10. 
Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. We now jump to verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave or split or divide in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. All the land shall be turned as a plain. Here's the answer. And all the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited. Friends, just have a look on the screen. Here is the ancient city of Jerusalem. And I've been privileged to be there twice. I went there as a young student in 1981, and then I went again in uh, 2005 on an archaeological diggings tour. So where is the Mount of Olives? Well, there is the city of Jerusalem with the Dome of the Rock, which is a Muslim holy place, a Muslim shrine. But on the other side, so from this view, directly behind us, as we look at this, directly behind us here is the Mount of Olives, and it is a mountain. Notice all the graves that are buried up there because people want to be close to the city and many Christians have wanted to be buried there so that they can be resurrected when the Lord returns. So friends, there is the Mount of Olives and sometime in the future, the holy city, the new Jerusalem will come down on that spot. What will happen when the feet of Jesus stand finally upon the Mount of Olives? God makes a great plain for the holy city the new Jerusalem. He makes a great plain for the holy city, the new Jerusalem. So are you very clear that Jesus' feet do set foot? He does set foot on the earth at the third coming, but he does not set foot on the earth at the second coming. Let me share some more information with you in the note. Please have a look on the screen. As the Lord stands on the Mount of Olives, the mountain will cleave and spread out to make a great plain as the base for the holy city. Notice that Jesus' third coming at the close of the 1,000 years is with his saints, Zechariah 14.5, last part. At the second coming, when the 1,000 years begin, Jesus comes for his saints, as in Matthew 24 and verse 31. Question 18, what happens to Satan after the 1,000 years? Revelation 20 and verse 7. Fascinating verse here. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be what? He'll be loosed out of his prison. This old English word also means released. He's let off the chain, so to speak, the chain of circumstances. It's interesting what the note says. Remember that the resurrection of the wicked takes place at the close of the 1,000 years, Revelation 20, verse 5. This resurrection loses Satan because he once again has people to deceive. Now, it's not um, explicitly written there, but it is implied that there must be the resurrection of damnation that takes place at this time. What does Satan do that shows he's not had a change of heart during the 1,000 years in Revelation 20 and verse 8? And Satan goes out to deceive the nations. There is the um, implied resurrection. He now goes out to deceive the nations. There's been the second resurrection. He goes out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, so north, south, east, and west, 
there are now millions and billions of people which are in the four quarters of the earth. Gog and Magog, these are ancient references to God's enemies in the Old Testament. Have a look in Ezekiel. To gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Now, are there more people inside the heavenly city, the New Jerusalem, or are there more people outside? Friends, the ones outside we think are in the majority. Why? The number outside the city of the wicked are numbered as the sands of the sea. Do you know how many grains of sand are in one handful? One handful? Or how many grains are in the sand of the sea? What does Satan do that shows he's not had a change of heart during the 1,000 years? He is excited. He's energized. He goes out to what? He goes out to deceive the nations. We're in top of page seven and our seventh heading for lesson number seven. We're looking at the doomsday for Satan and sinners. Oh, this sounds like good news. Question 20, when Satan and his followers go up to capture the holy city, what actually happens to them? Revelation 20 and verse 9. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and they compassed the camp of the saints about. Now, some people have wondered, what's this camp of the saints about? Well, the Bible explains itself. It's the beloved city. The next line explains it. The camp of the saints about is the beloved city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem that's just come down. And fire came down from God out of heaven and what? Devoured them. Notice the past tense, it's not devouring them, but it devoured them. And that takes us to our answer. When Satan and his followers go up to capture the holy city, what happens to them? Fire comes down from God out of heaven and devoured them. That takes us to question number 21. What happens to the devil at this time in Revelation 20, verse 10? We're just rolling through the great millennium chapter, Revelation chapter 20. And the devil that deceived them, the wicked, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So, friends, isn't that interesting that this is exactly what the Bible says will happen to Satan, his evil angels, and the wicked? So what happens to the devil at this time? And the devil was cast into the lake of fire. The note says under 21, the devil will be in the fire, not outside tending or stoking the fire or torturing the wicked who are in the flames. That's good news, isn't it? Satan's going to be destroyed. Question 22, what does Jesus call this fire in Revelation 20 and verse 14? And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. So death and the grave are cast into the lake of fire. No more death, no more dying, no more going down into the earth. And this is called the second death. This final death is the second death. And this is the death that all the wicked will die. The righteous do not die the second death. All are raised from the first death, Hebrews 9.27. From the second death, however, there is no resurrection. That takes us to our final heading 
in lesson number seven, Eden's paradise restored. Isn't it time for some good news? But friends, it is good news that Satan and the wicked are all destroyed and the earth is going to be cleansed and renewed. Question 23, what does Jesus do after the earth is purified by fire? Second Peter 3, Revelation 21. But the day of the Lord will come as a what? A thief in the night. Do you think that's expected? Are you expecting getting burgled tonight? Friends, Jesus' second coming comes at a time that's most unexpected. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. Remember we told you the second coming is not a silent secret coming. And the elements, that is the structures and the things on the earth shall melt with what? Fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be what? Shall be burned up. Friends, what will be like when the world's on fire? I think this is one of the most stunning photographs ever taken. It's called Elk Bath, and I was able to find who took it. It was John McColgan. He was a ranger, um, and it was of the wildfire in the Bitterroot National Forest in Montana, taken back in the year 2000. I want you to imagine what this earth is going to be like when it is on fire and the earth shall melt with fervent heat. Peter says to the saints, the Christians, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved in the fire, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Verse 12, looking for and hasting under the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. We go to 2 Peter 3.13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? And Revelation 21, 1 and 3, you know, we've got no idea how beautiful heaven is, but we're going to try and show you in our next session. John says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. What does Jesus do after the earth is purified by fire? The answer is he will create a new heaven and a new earth. Let's go to question 24 at the bottom of page 7. Where will the Lord live after the new earth is created? Let's go to Revelation 21, verses 2 and 3. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Friends, I love verse 4. And God shall wipe away what? All tears or every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. Just stop and pause and think. There'll be no tears. There'll be no death. Neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. We're going to say more about that in session number 8. 
And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So there's our answer, friends. The answer is that he will live where? The answer is that he will live on the earth with us. That's where the Lord will live. Let me share with you the note at the top of page eight as we wind down to the end of our lesson. Jesus promised that the meek will inherit the earth, Matthew 5, 5. In harmony with this promise, God will set up his kingdom here on the new earth and live with his people. This earth will become the center of the universe. Please notice, however, that he does not move his kingdom here to convert the lost. His kingdom is established here only after the lost have been cast into the lake of fire. Question 25, where must my name be written if I am to escape the fire in Revelation 20 and verse 15? We read, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Friends, we're going to make sure that we keep our names written in the book of life. And that is by staying connected with heaven every day through Bible study, through prayer, and through sharing. The note says here, review briefly all the events on the 1,000 years chart in Exhibit 1. Read carefully the note on the exhibit entitled A Second Chance. So, friends, I just want to share with you what this says uh, at the bottom of the page. Many teach there'll be an opportunity to repent during the 1,000 years. Some people call it a second chance. Others claim that there will be a first chance or opportunity given to those who had never heard the plan of salvation. But I want to tell you, this is impossible. Why? Well, during the 1,000 years, the righteous will be safe in heaven and the wicked will all be dead. An unsaved person can no more repent during the 1,000 years than a corpse could suddenly sit up in his casket and repent at his funeral. And for the same reason, they are both dead. This second chance teaching delights Satan, who hopes people will put off deciding today, believing they will have another opportunity during the 1,000 years. The truth is that Jesus will not return to this earth till all have heard his wonderful message of life and salvation and have decided for or against it. Matthew 24, 14, Mark 16, 15, and Revelation 14, 6 and 7. So, friends, I'm asking you, is there any second chance? Not according to the Bible, Hebrews 9, 27. And as it is appointed unto men, meaning mankind, humankind, once to die, but after this, the judgment. Friends, there is no second chance. That's one of the devil's greatest lies. So, finally, we're looking here at the events at the close of the 1,000 years. Please direct your attention to the screen. I'm going to give you 10 pictures of these 10 points. We're looking at the events that take place at the end of the thousand years. Number one, there's the third coming of Jesus with his saints. So the holy city, the new Jerusalem comes down and inside the holy city, new Jerusalem is the Lord Jesus Christ. Point number two, the holy city descends on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives splits in two. And at this time, Jesus' feet touch the Mount of Olives at the third coming. Point number three, the wicked are raised in the second resurrection. This artist 
this digital artist, brilliant digital artist, Phil McKay, Phil McKay, who has an amazing website, philmckay.com. Phil has shown that we have the great generals and military leaders of the past possibly coming up in this second resurrection. It could be Adolf Hitler. It could be great Roman generals. And it could be Napoleon and some of the great leaders of the world. And so these wicked are raised in the second resurrection. Point number four is that Satan is loose to tempt and deceive. He's loose to tempt and deceive when the wicked are raised in the second resurrection. In fact, Satan talks the wicked into trying to capture the holy city. He's quite a salesman, isn't he? He thinks that the wicked can take the holy city, the new Jerusalem, with all of those armaments, and he leads them into battle. Well, point number six, the holy city, the new Jerusalem is attacked. We're summarizing what we learned in our lesson tonight. And that is such a sad time when all of these people who Jesus died for are lost. Fire from heaven now destroys the attackers and the lake of fire surrounds the city and the wicked are finally no more. Fire then purifies the earth and then it goes out. The Bible says, and we'll show this in a lesson soon, they are ashes under the soles of, their, of your feet in the day that I do that. I think that's Malachi chapter 4 and verse 3. Point number nine, God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Isn't it going to be glorious and isn't it going to be absolutely beautiful? And point number 10, God sets up his new kingdom right here on earth. Some people have wondered why does God set up his kingdom here on earth? Well, I'm going to ask you one question. Where did Jesus Christ die for the sins of the world, this planet? He died right here on planet Earth. And so the scene of the greatest triumph over sin and Satan is right here on planet Earth. And that is where God comes to bring the throne of the universe. Let's overview the 1000 years with another chart. Very quickly, what did we learn tonight? The first resurrection takes place in the last days and is triggered by the return of Jesus. The righteous dead are raised. The living saints are caught up. The wicked are slain and Satan is bound. During the 1,000 years, there's only four events. The righteous are up in heaven, reviewing the judgments of God. Number two, the wicked remain dead here on the earth. Number three, Satan's bound by a chain of circumstances to the earth. No one to tempt, nowhere to go. And number four, the righteous will judge and review the judgments in heaven. Then with the second resurrection, we have Christ, the saints in the city descend. That triggers the second resurrection. The wicked dead are then raised. Satan is released and loosed to tempt and lead them in an attack on the city. This is the time of the last judgment, the great white throne judgment. Then God calls down fire and brimstone out of heaven and sadly Satan and the sinners are destroyed. Finally, the earth is cleansed and renewed and then there is eternity. Question 26, whom does Jesus invite to become citizens of his great new kingdom in Revelation 22 and verse 17? And the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. What's the answer, friends? The answer is whomsoever will. Anyone can come to this banquet. Anyone can be called into the kingdom of heaven who is willing to make Jesus Christ number one in their lives 
the Lord and Master of their lives. Question 27 is our last lesson question tonight. Will you tell Jesus now that you are accepting his magnificent and loving invitation? Friends, I've put there, yes, I do. And this is a decision I try and make every day. And I hope that you will too. We started with our theme and discovery point questions. Number one, what's the millennium? I think you know the answer, isn't it? So the millennium is a period of 1,000 years. Question two, when does the 1,000 years begin? It begins at the second coming of Jesus, which then triggers off the resurrection, the first resurrection of the righteous. Number three, who is alive on earth during the 1,000 years? All the living wicked are now dead. Only Satan and his evil angels are left alive. I think we also mentioned that the wicked dead who are wicked and dead when Jesus comes remain in the graves. Number four, when will the 1,000 years end? The new Jerusalem descends at the end of the 1,000 years at the third coming of Jesus and comes down with all the saved and redeemed of all the ages. Finally, what purpose does it serve for God and the universe? to have this 1,000 years of the righteous reviewing the judgment. The 1,000 years give the saved and the universe a chance to review and agree with the justice of God's final judgments. Well, I want to thank you for those of you who are keeping up and doing the quiz. Number one, our response questions are two. I'm understanding more and more about Christ's plan concerning the end time. I'd like you to tick box number one if that's true for you. Number two, I'm ready to unequivocally say yes to Jesus. I want to understand more of his truth so I can stand for him in these last days. If your answer is yes, I'm asking you to tick box number two. We have five quiz questions tonight. They're all true and false. And let's get into question number one. Please lock your answer in, then I'll give you the answer immediately. Question number one, the righteous live and reign with Jesus during the 1,000 years in heaven. Is that true or false? The righteous live and reign with Jesus during the 1,000 years. True or false? Lock your answer in now. The answer is absolutely true. Number two, the first resurrection takes place at the second coming of Jesus Christ. True or false? Lock your answer in. Thank you. The answer is true. Number three, the second resurrection takes place at the end of the thousand years. True or false? Lock your answer in. And the answer is true. Number four, the wicked are slain by the brightness of Christ's coming and are buried by the good angels. True or false? And the answer is, lock it in, false. Yes, the wicked are slain by the brightness of Christ's coming, but they are not buried by the good angels. They are dung or refuse on the ground for the whole thousand years. Those carcasses stay there. That's when Satan goes around doing the devil's archaeology, going from body to body, thinking of how he led all those people away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Number five, during the 1,000 years, Satan had a chance to think things over and then he apologised for his former behaviour. Is that what the Bible says? True or false? Lock it in. And the answer is false. 
Thank you so much for giving yourself a score out of five. So what did we learn tonight? We were studying that Satan was bound on the earth for the 1,000 years, and at the end of that time, the judgment will end and the new earth will begin. In session eight, in our next time together, we're going to look at Revelations Space City. We're going to look at the topic of what and where is heaven. Then the one after we're finally getting to the seven seals, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We've done the seven churches, really looking forward in two sessions time to looking at the seven seals, the four horsemen. That's one of my favorite studies. So friends, I want to encourage you now to prepare lesson number eight, Revelation's Amazing Space City. It's the lesson on heaven. What are we going to learn next time? What has God prepared for his people, the redeemed saints? Number two, why does the city come down to this earth? Number three, what are the dimensions of this heavenly city? Could we fit it into our great country? And will everyone fit into the city? Number four, what will be the greatest joy for you when you're living in heaven? I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight for the devil chained in the bottomless pit. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have an escape plan for your people here on planet Earth. We know with the signs in the world right now that Jesus is about to come. We want to be ready. Continue to bless us with wisdom and understanding through the power of the Holy Spirit as we open and read and study your word. And we ask that one day on the great day that we'll be ready when Jesus comes because we're ready every day. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Friends, I want to thank you so much for joining us for the Revelation Seminar. And that was lesson number seven. So thank you for being with us. Look forward to seeing you for session number eight. You've been listening to Prophecy Seminar, the book of Revelation with Pastor David Price. For more information about this series, you can visit the YouTube page, True Blue SDA. All one word, that's True Blue SDA.